And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea, conversationalists across the fruited plain, ladies who lunge, princes of the universe, captains courageous, and the people on the wrong side of the tracks, it's Open Line Friday. Ooh, and I barely got that in. And yes, I know, other people have done it, but I steal from the best, because that's what we do. Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hutt. I am here firmly ensconced in the gold-pressed, latinum-plated, non-armored throne here in the bunker, deep beneath world headquarters. Good to have all of you with us. (coughs) And we are... Uh, we are broadcasting live. Uh, those of you who listen to this as a podcast, you need to jump in every now and again and check out the live video. We are now broadcasting live to YouTube, Odyssey, Twitch, and Rumble. And I gotta say, our numbers are looking pretty good. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm not sure exactly how Rumble. Uh, how Rumble uh, counts their view count because uh, th- I'm seeing a couple of different numbers attached to each video and I'm thinking that some of it is impressions versus actual views uh, but there is that but anyway yeah we are broadcasting live on four different platforms which means you can join the conversation you can be in the chat in four different places if you're here not live, if you're here by Memorex, you can uh, you can always leave a comment. Email address live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. And of course, we want you to join the Discord server, which is active and jumping. So uh, so get over there and, and pop in for those conversations. <coughs> and we're gonna do some we're gonna do something we're gonna do quick today uh, because I have. A lot of places that I've got to be uh, all at once today, so it's it's gonna be. We're gonna I'm gonna try to stay at an hour. We're gonna stay at an hour, but you're calling in. You're letting us. You know, you're 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 driving, driving the conversations. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna put the uh, put the link in <laughs> the chat everywhere. Send that. Send that. There it goes. Okay, so everybody's got the link. Let me pin it. And make sure it stays at the top. Yes, I know that's me. Pin, pin, pin. Can I pin it? And I've never, I've never done this in. Uh, oh, hey, I can't pin that in Rumble. Why can't I pin that in Rumble? Huh. Okay. I can pin it everywhere else, but I can't pin it in rubble what's up with that all right <coughs> dave says good audio a pinned call and link what could go wrong well you know lots of things could go wrong um because i haven't eaten yet i i've been scrambling this morning so i i i reached into the pantry and found some nilla wafers 
And behind the Nilla wafers, I found a box of Cliff Bars, uh, chocolate brownie Cliff Bars that's never been opened. And I thought, oh, hey, uh, when did those, how long have those been sitting up there? And the date on this. Uh, the uh, the uh, the date the you know the little stamp the date stamped on there is um, September seventh twenty nineteen so these have been in the in the pantry for a little bit but you know they're still there's I mean the box has never been opened so I would assume that they're still okay maybe I don't know so I don't I may have to dive into a little of this if I get peckish during the during the thing or or if I get hangry. I guess. Uh, MS says it's still good. Okay, good to know. I, you know, these things that are stuck on the shelves, you know, the apocalypse pantry, it's, it's, you never know, right? But this has been on the shelf since before we started an apocalypse pantry, so. Okay. <coughs> so, anyway, lots of things to talk about this week. Uh, we've got the Victoria Alonso firing. We've got stuff going on at Marvel Studios. We've got stuff going on at Lucasfilm. Uh, the video with Cameron yesterday is just blowing up over on YouTube. That's got uh, 300 and something views. That's crazy number. Uh, and we are sitting at now 2295 on our YouTube subscriber count. So very good to see all of that. And yes, people have said, hey, Cameron guy, he's kind of interesting. You should have him back as a guest. And we plan to. <laughs> Uh, MS is great show yesterday. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I think it went really well. Uh, we got some really good information out there from Cameron and his sources at Lucasfilm and Disney about what's going on. And I'm I'm hoping <coughs> two things with regard to Karen McCarthy's lawsuit against Lucasfilm. I want this thing to go to Discovery. I don't want them to settle. Now they probably will. But I want this thing to go to Discovery. And if if Karen McCarthy's team is smart, well, it, it, depending on what the motivation is, they could they could go ahead and agree to a settlement, but they might they might force Disney's hand and sit there and say, no, we're going to trial and pull pull everything into Discovery. I want I want that. And I want to find out. As soon as we can, I want to find out, A, whether or not the, the uh, meeting between Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Iger actually happens today, as we've heard it's supposed to happen. I want to know, A, if it does happen, and B, what happened. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. What comes out of that, if anything comes out of that? I don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to see. We're keeping an eye on it, and I'm sure. I'm sure Cameron has uh, ears to the ground uh, on that stuff. Um, <laughs> says, "Go to the bathroom, turn the light off, say Cameron three times fast. His face will appear in the mirror." <laughs> uh, 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 you know, Dave, that's not a bad idea. This is a time when we need a Sony-style hack of Disney Lucasfilm. I, it would be interesting to see what information is being kept from us. I mean, 
it's it's not unheard of. It's not unprecedented. I mean, the New York District Attorney's Office just held 600-plus pages of exculpatory evidence to make his case. Uh, I mean, so it happens. Oh, no, you know, we're... Well, it's like we were talking about yesterday. You got this, this, this little thing over here. You concentrate on this thing. We're gonna, we're gonna put this over here where you just don't look at it, don't think about it, don't talk about it. Would you just talk about this one over here, not this one over here? And we could get some of that. And it's entirely possible that there is a lot of of sleight of hand happening with all of this stuff, and chaos. Is the is the norm, I guess. I mean, it would be best, I think, for everybody. It would be best for the company in terms of how they make a profit. Uh, it would be best for the parent company, Disney, uh, to avoid the PR mess. It would be best for the fans to get a product that they can enjoy. It would be best for the staff to have something that they could be proud of in terms of what work they do. I mean, it's a win all the way around if you're an ethical company. But that's the key word there. Ethical. And as we've seen from the lawsuit... It seems like Lucasfilm might not have been acting in an ethical manner. Now, that's a broad sweeping statement to say. It might not be Lucasfilm. It could very well be just Leslie Headland. It could very well be Carrie Beck. I mean, I, you know, throw, throw names out there. It could be anybody. Who's to say? And who's to say that Kathleen Kennedy actually knows what's going on inside her own company? Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe Michelle Reshwan was responsible for a lot of crap, and, and we don't know. That's why I think it's important for this stuff to go to discovery, because then we can start seeing internal documents made public. And I think at that point, we start to understand just what is going on in the hierarchy there at, at Lucasville. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Emma says, it seems like contracts are given out in Disney and they seem to have no way out of them. Why is that? Well, like Cameron was explaining yesterday, you have these, I mean, deal mo deal memos. <coughs> excuse me. Deal memos are common. Deal memos are, here's here's the list of everything that we're going to do as part of this, as part of this contract. We'll be responsible for this. You do this. And this is what's going to happen as a result. And... You sign off on that. You say, okay, that's the deal. And you have an agreement. And in most places, legally, that's a binding contract. Whether you do the 30-page contract or not, if you have any kind of an agreement in place from both parties saying, yes, this is what we're going to do, that's, that's legally binding. And even if that's all they had between Karen McCarthy and Lucasfilm, that's actionable if one or the other party doesn't follow through on their obligation. And it's the same thing with any of the other directors that have been fired over the years or writers that have been fired over the years, where if you have some kind of an agreement in place, and this is not just Lucasfilm, this is, this is everywhere. 
in the Hollywood industry and, and even other corporate stuff, I imagine, is probably the same kind of thing. Where if you have an agreement and both parties agree to a thing and one party doesn't live up to their end of the agreement, then that's actionable, I would think, legally. I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. I don't pretend to be one in real life anywhere. That's just my impression. Uh, Daniel says, could they possibly be trying to protect legitimate but confidential info? Um, I don't know. <coughs> the only thing that I can think of, um, I don't know what they would be protecting, though. Other than the the idea, maybe the fact that the acolyte could possibly be fraudulent. I mean, there's that possibility. Uh, the camera's raised that possibility a uh, number of times. Uh, he, he and uh, his sources at Lucas are telling them that the, the acolyte's not really doesn't exist. They might be shooting some stuff like we talked about yesterday. They might be shooting some test footage or something, but the, the project itself doesn't have a budget, according to Sparrow. And I don't know. I mean, there. I'm sure that you want to protect some confidential information, but I don't know what it would be. Um, MS, why do some people in Disney have this untouchable kind of contract? Why is it so hard to fire people who are not good at their job? Uh, well, specifically with regard to Kathleen Kennedy, this is office politics. This is Hollywood politics. This is Kathleen Kennedy has been in that town for so long. And she has been attached and associated with so many successful films. She is quite likely the most powerful woman in Hollywood in terms of producers, directors, writers, anybody. I mean, you've got Kathleen Kennedy. Any Anybody else at that level probably Nancy Myers would come close. Um, but I don't know from a, from a, you've got Pam Abney over at Warner Brothers, but you know, she doesn't have the track records. They don't have the longevity that Kathleen Kennedy does. I mean, Kathleen Kennedy has been around since, since Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that's 40 some odd years. And over that time, she's been attached to a number of Oscar-winning productions. She's been attached to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And it's it's one of those things where, and corporate America does this too, where if you have somebody who is embarrassing your corporation, unless you have some kind of illegality or malfeasance or something, that's actionable in terms of firing someone. The uh, the most of the time, the corporations just sit there and go, yeah, you know, it's time for you to retire. And that's all. That's all the rumblings that we've been hearing this year is that Star Wars Celebration was going to be this big send off for Kennedy, you know, big retirement party for her, and then she was out the door. But then this lawsuit happens. And what if the lawsuit triggers some other kind of action where we have to get rid of Kathleen Kennedy before Indiana Jones comes out? <coughs> Who knows? Dave says, in, in my opinion, Kathy was a people mover type producer, not a creative power. Yeah, Well, yeah, there was, um, who was it? 
somebody was saying that they were, oh, uh, it was Chris Gore. He was over on, uh, I want to say he was on uh, Critical Drinkers tra- channel yesterday. And he was saying that he had dated someone who was uh, an assistant to Kathleen Kennedy at one point and said that her biggest superpower was scheduling. So she's, I mean, we've known for a long while that Kennedy doesn't have a creative bone in her body. That doesn't make her a good producer. That doesn't make her a bad producer. Being creative is not what's the key element of being a good producer. Being a good producer means managing resources. Your producer does not have to be creative. Your director does. Your writer does. Your director of photography does. Your editor does. But your producer does not necessarily have to be creative except where it comes to managing what you have in order to make the product. And you have to know uh, how to manage time and schedule and resources and materials and, and people in order to get the thing finished. And that's what a produce, a good producer can get you done on schedule and, and, and under budget and you get everything done. And that takes also a good unit production manager, a good assistant director. It's a, it's a team effort. But the producer, and yes, the producer can spot talent and the producer can, can, can chase the talented people. But the producer, that, that particular slot, the responsibilities of that, of that position, producer, does not require creativity in terms of storytelling ability. I can recognize this is a great actor. I can recognize this is a talented director, but I don't necessarily have to be the one to sit there and go, well, what if you did it this way? See, there's a, there's, it's, it's a, it's a fine line. I can recognize talent without having to sit there and try to be part of that creative team. And, maybe she's really good at that. Who knows? <clears throat> what if a legal ousting saves them millions in a retirement payout? Oh, no. No, no, no. She's got a, she's got a parachute of some sort. It, I don't, like I said, I don't see them firing her and frog-marching her out the way they did Victoria Alonso. They're not going to do that to Kathleen Kennedy because the optics of it, the political optics of it, would be really bad. Unless, unless they can prove that she did something illegal or unethical or, you know, some something, and, and if the lawsuit triggers something like that, then you've got a whole new can of worms. But if it's just you're embarrassing the company, it's time to go, they're going to work out a deal. And it could very well be that she knows some of the skeletons that are in the closets, and she sits there and goes, okay, this is the deal that we're going to take. And I agree with Cameron's speculation. I bet she's been sitting there with the last, you know, the last 10 days. She's been talking to lawyers. How do I get out of this? How do I protect myself? Who do we throw under the bus? I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I think that's right. Because <clears throat> if she hasn't been at the office, she's, she's more than likely having meetings of her own to how do we cover, how do we cover ourselves here? How do I get out of this without 
destroying my my reputation, destroying my career, destroying my legacy. Because say what you want, she's got a legacy. Whether it's hers or not, irrelevant. Her name is attached to so many successful films in Hollywood over the years. She has a legacy. And that comes into play. So, we'll see. Uh, she, she isn't very good at spotting director talent. Well, that's true, Snob. The thing is, I, see, and I don't know... I don't know if this was her or if this was Iger or if it was the both of them thinking that we can hire these young upcoming directors and kind of tell them what to do. I have to wonder if that was a part of this. And when those directors didn't play ball, they sat there and went, well, okay, we don't need you because you're not going to listen to what we tell you. I think that I, I think that's what happened with Lord Miller, honestly. And and Gareth Edwards had the problem of, you know, well, I mean, the rewrites and the everything that happened out of Rogue One. But then Colin Trevorrow, you know, Colin Trevorrow is left holding a bag full of nothing because of what Ryan Johnson did to him with, with Last Jedi. Well, what do I do with this? Where do I go from here? Now my story completely falls apart and doesn't work because of what you did. So I can I can totally see some of these guys just stepping away and saying, forget it. It's too much hassle. <coughs> but a lot of them, I think, are not as experienced as they need to be. And and this director of whoever you know, whoever this director is that's coming in to do the the what used to be the Damon Lindelof script, she's a documentary p- producer. She's a journalist. She's got no Hollywood creative narrative experience except for a couple of episodes of Ms. Marvel. And that's clearly, let's hire her to check off some boxes and we'll tell her what to do. Because that's the Marvel model. You know, they'll, they'll bring in directors, but Kevin Feige is the one that's running everything over there because it's all connected and it's all got to be part of this big thing. And I've made the the comparison before. Kevin Feige is the showrunner on this really giant, expensive TV series called Marvel Cinematic Universe. And every movie is an episode of that show. And, you know, with with television series, especially in the past, uh, in, in ye olden days, you'd have directors that would come in that wouldn't be familiar with the show. And the showrunners are the ones who are responsible for maintaining the integrity of the show from episode to episode to episode to episode. It's one of the reasons why Gene Roddenberry rewrote so many scripts going into Star Trek, because you had science fiction authors like Ted Sturgeon, Harlan Ellison, Robert Block, but they're writing stuff for a show that didn't exist at the time because it hadn't been on the air yet. Nobody knew what this thing was going to be, except Roddenberry and Dorothy Fontana and Gene Kuhn. And so they have to rewrite these scripts in order to fit the format of the show. That's the showrunner's responsibility. That's you know, executive producer, head of the head of the writing room or, or whatever. <clears throat> and Feige's doing that. And I'm thinking maybe they thought that they were going to do something like that with the with the story group at Lucasfilm 
and you just bring in these writers, you bring in these directors, and we're just going to tell you what to do because we need it to fit this other thing, to fit this other thing, to fit that thing, to fit this thing. And that's how everything how everything does. But it didn't work. Because Ryan Johnson broke Star Wars with The Last Jedi, and then fans, you know, the fan backlash against Solo, Solo lost money, and Iger said, okay, new plan. I don't know. Side by side says, imagine bringing in a new director to do the middle movie as a sequel and telling him he can do whatever he wanted. Yeah, That's been my point. You know, nobody told Ryan Johnson that he was directing act two of a three-act play. Or maybe they did, and he decided to just chuck it all. I don't know. I, I Look, if, if, if Ryan Johnson can find success with the whole Knives Out franchise, good on him. There's, there's positive buzz about those films. People seem to like them. Okay. He, he does his thing. Maybe science fiction is not something that Ryan Johnson really needs to stay in. I mean, I know he did Looper, but... Maybe he's found his niche. MS, uh, MS doesn't like Knives Out. You don't like it. Okay. I mean, who knows? This is one of those things. All right. I'm going to see if these... I'm going to see if these Nilla wafers are still any good here for a second. Because I'm, I'm hungry. I'll be, I'll be discreet. I'll be discreet. That's all right. Okay. Anyway, so you got the Victoria Alonso thing. You got the Lucasfilm stuff. You have banks failing, and that could that could factor into a lot of what happens with Hollywood, because how many banks in California are tied into the film industry? And what about Atlanta? Are there any banks in Atlanta that are in trouble? But most of the most of the budgets come out of Los Angeles, Hollywood. I wonder what kind of impact that's going to have. I don't know. We are going to talk about cryptocurrency on when do I have it? Um up I think Tuesday. Yes, the 28th, Tuesday the 28th, we are going to have Darcy, Darcy, uh, Darcy Donovan to talk, uh, to talk crypto. Dan Danford is going to be on here as well because he knows more about this stuff than I do. So we're going to talk crypto on Tuesday. Uh, and I think Tony Weisskopf is going to be here on Wednesday. She's the editor-in-chief over at, she's a publisher at Bayon Books. And then on the 30th, Michael Rothman and Dave Butler will be here to talk about stuff. And then Monday... Ariel Racine is going to be here to talk about her movie, Kill Her Goats. It's a slasher pick. So that's that's what we're doing there. All right, it's 1230. It's half. It's, it's 30 minutes past the hour. Do you guys want to call in or not? I mean, that's fine if you don't. I can keep going, but... You know, I mean, give you a chance. I mean, the link's up there, so everybody can, you guys can, you guys can jump in if you want. If, if there's no pressure, it's not obligation. You're not required to do anything. 
You can just sit here. So. All right, Sci-Fi Snob is jumping in there. Good afternoon, sir. Welcome. Hell, thanks. I, did I torture her long enough? Sure. Waiting to bask in my glory. <laughs> MS MS was wanting to discuss Mandalorian. We can we can do that. You know, <clears throat> I I probably should make the Ranker Pit uh, an open call show as well. We may do that next next week. Uh, not not next week. The week after next is the next Ranker Pit. So what's up? I haven't I haven't started watching the Mandalorian yet, but I've been hearing some uh, questionable things. Eh, yeah, it's it's okay. It's okay. It's I, it's a bunch of I video. I wasn't game too impressed scenes. with the with the last two seasons, but uh, I mean, it was better than Boba Fett. I mean, I, you know, most of the Disney shows have disappointed me. Yeah. Uh, uh, MS since, is asking. You know, MS is asking if you got a new microphone. You sound different. No, I'm using the uh, I'm using the microphone from the headphones, hmm. um, which I usually use. I don't use my best microphone. Yeah, uh, just use the headphones one. Oh. No, I didn't. I see how it is. I don't rate your best microphone. No, Thanks. no, you don't. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's that. easier this way. I can move my head. It stays on my, you know. Mm. I don't have to, you know, go up to the microphone like you do. Right. Uh, but see, if I, away. if I, if I, I can pull back from the microphone so you don't hear any noises that I make. So That's true. <clears throat> I don't uh, eat while I'm broadcasting. It's, a, it's I'm all about, it's all about controlling your sound. <laughs> so anyway, all right. So what's up? Uh nothing. I don't know. I just thought I'd come in to save you. You oh. want to talk? Uh, uh, I was just looking through some Disney. I don't know much about this, but Disney in September is holding this uh, major summit on gay rights. Yeah, I saw the headline. Supposedly it's I a big, you know. Uh, I haven't looked into that yet, but I heard about that yesterday. It's a big thing to DeSantos or something. I don't know. I just, I was just, I found it through Twitter, and someone said, you know. You know, is it really a good idea to hold a, you know, a huge gay rights summit at a child's theme park? I mean, <laughs> no, it seems not. a little bit, you know, you want to make people, hey, come to our theme park for kids and we're real kid friendly. It doesn't seem like. Yeah. That's super kid friendly. But, yeah. you know, what do I know? Well, and it's. I. I see a lot of this stuff as what I call neener neener behavior. This is this is people that are sitting there going, "Well, we'll show you," and they shake their finger at you know DeSantis or whoever else. And it's a lot of it is for show. A lot of it's going to be just you know noise in a you know tempest in a teacup, as it were. Yeah, but it's it's cutting your nose off to spite your face. It is teach you a lesson. I'm gonna you know lower my profits and yeah, all these things that people you know are starting to believe about me. I'm gonna prove it true by yeah. doing this, or, I, or you know, I have to I have to wonder at the motivation of some of these people. It just you really you really, but I'm perfectly fine if you want to show me who you really are, and show the general public who you really are. Go for it. Because I think, you know, sunlight is the best sanitizer because the more normal people, and I use air quotes, the more normies understand what we all have been paying attention to for the last four or five, six years, the more people that understand what's going on, the faster we're going to get rid of it, I think. Yeah. Maybe. I, I can be hopeful. 
you know, I I personally consider myself somewhat, you know, more conservative in that I want to conserve our, you know, normal values or, mm-hmm. our, you know, that have been with us as civil as a civilization for thousands of years. But I really don't care what other people do. Like, I don't yeah. I really don't care enough about you to care what you do. Yeah. Like, I care about my family and then my, you know, my immediate family, my extended family and my friends. I really don't care about what you do, who you do it to, where you stick your genitals. If you want to change yourself, you know, change your sex. I really don't care. That fits. Uh, That fits. And I think most people are like that. Yeah. That fits the general uh, classical liberal label, I think, more than anything else. I mean, nowadays you're alt-right at this point and and conservative and all of the all of those terms are being used interchangeably but you know classical classical liberalism is not the same as what we have like in the united states you have liberal and conservative liberals are are liberals are pretty much gone you have progressives you have far left progressives you have leftists you have communists and then you have everybody to the right of that and you know, if you're not aligned with, say, Stalin, then you're the bad guy in in some circles. So I yeah. don't know. I, like, but I, I'm I, with you. I just, you know, you guys do everything you want to do out there. That's fine. Don't bring it into my house. Yeah. Like, you know, you want to have your drag time story hour. I mean, I don't think I really, you know, agree with having it at a public library because that's something that everybody pays for. Right. Um, if you want to do it so, at a private location, I don't care. And I'm certainly not going to bring my children to it. But really, like, why are you, I mean, I don't want to shove my views down your throat. Why are you trying to do the same to me? Are you that um, uh, It's indoctrination. immature? Are you that, you, that much lacking in confidence in your own views that you have to force everyone to believe in what you believe in in order to make it uh, real for yourself? Yeah. Like, is that the only way? But it's a, it's a pattern of indoctrination and, 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 and manipulation and propaganda. It's, it, it's not about, you know, you accepting my values and me accepting your values. It's me squashing yours because I, then I can control you. Yeah. That's I mean, what, I don't accept it's everyone's it's about, values. It's about I mean, power and control is what it is. Yeah. I yeah. don't accept everyone's values. I mean, there are certain values that people have that I don't agree with. Yep. I mean, and I'm, I don't, I don't accept them and I'm not going to accept them and nor are you going to accept, you know, you have your values. You're not going to accept mine if they are diametrically opposed. It's, it's, you know, just I leave think, us alone. I think we're okay unless you like pepperoni on pizza or, or, or pineapple on pizza. Pepperoni? I mean, pineapple. No. Pineapple. I, I misspoke. Pineapple on pizza, then we, we have on, issues, but. Pineapple on pizza is a crime against humanity. All right. Yeah, uh, my, Dan- my kids love it. Yeah, Daniel says cancel it. culture is simply about cutting tongues out. That's that's exactly what it is. We don't want to hear what you have to say because you could say something that damages our our narrative. So well, if your narrative is so weak that you know it needs to be protected, you cannot have anyone ever challenge it. Well, that's a big problem. I yeah. mean, that's that says something more about your narrative than and your beliefs than it does about anyone else. It does. But it absolutely does. When you get old like uh, us, you know, you don't you come to, you know, you don't care about. Uh, I used to follow politics very closely. Uh, <laughs> since about 2000, I followed them very closely. But I'm kind of uh, this long, I'm kind of ignoring it because it's all the same, right? Right. 
<clears throat> same stuff, same problems, just get recycled over and over again. Well, and, and I'm same, I'm I'm seeing the stuff that's just... going on in the news right now today, and I'm like, when did we when did we time travel back to the, the late '70s? Because you know now here we got problems with Iran again. I was like, are you kidding me with this crap? I just, just I don't know. Sorry, problems with the what? I didn't get Iran. That. Iran, oh yeah, yeah, they'll always. Your uh, your president uh, is uh, in our capital today. Oh, is he? With yeah, there's some good video of him and driving by with his eighty car caravan. You can, eighty cars. You can keep him. Eighty cars. I, I mean, uh, I like uh, somebody said this. Um, you know, if you need, uh, why do our leaders need so much protection? Right. Right. Perhaps if, you know, you need that much protection, then maybe you're not doing something right. Right. If there are <laughs> right. people that hate you so much yeah. that you need a small army to protect yourself, maybe, you know, there's something wrong with what you're doing. I would say probably that would be a, a thing. Although, you know, a certain amount of protection is is appropriate. Given the position that that these people are in, whether they're elected officials or the Pope, you know, royalty. I, I, but you know, yeah. Some sometimes I you can, sometimes you can I disagree. Go they shouldn't be allowed any protection whatsoever. They should have to walk around in the street naked, blindfolded, <laughs> and there should be knives handed out to all the people. And if they can't walk through without getting stabbed to death, then they're doing something wrong, right? <laughs> Like, you know, maybe we wouldn't have so much government if the, if you had to, uh, you know, if they if they had to do that. Yeah, we should probably well, then, mention we probably mentioned to uh, to uh, who's who's the new guy in charge of YouTube. This is this is parody. This is this is uh, we're not serious here. Uh, MS <laughs> is asking if we want a 65 movie review. Do we want a 65 movie review? I guess I guess MS saw 65. I, I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen it. Know. I'm kind of curious. I mean, I haven't heard good things about it, but yeah. I saw the Ant Man, and I don't, uh, I don't recommend it. It's pretty, you know, it's a pretty uh, below average Marvel movie. Yeah, uh, that's a shame, but not unexpected. No, not unexpected. So I'm working on my uh, Picard review. I'm trying. I've I'm aiming in on why I don't like it. Oh, okay. So I'm, uh, and now I'm just collecting the evidence. I think I figured it out. Now that's going to be a video that drops. What's your, what's your target? Oh, next week, hopefully, maybe. Okay. I'm have, I'm now watching. I have to rewatch all the episodes thanks to you, Jason, torturing me. <laughs> well, watching you, the. You uh, don't have to watch season one or two. No, no. I mean, the rest of the season three oh, episodes. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. Torture myself. It's it's not it's not bad. I mean, is it great Star Trek? No. Is it is it great is it great television? No. It's it, it's better than what we've had. And I'll, I'll say yes. That. Now and and and, and, and the number one is infinitely better than the number zero. <laughs> it doesn't mean that one is hugely yeah. larger. Well, now given given what Terry Metalis had to work with from from where he started. I think he's done a, a fairly good job of pulling out a decent show that doesn't have any resemblance at all to the to the two seasons that came before it. 
Well, know? he's got a so. couple of little nods to them, eh? Where they're like, I heard Picard's a robot now. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of those, um, which is kind of funny. Um, I will say that I like, I think the overall, um, this changeling thing is a good is a good story arc. Uh-huh. Like it's a good idea. I don't, you know, I'm not going to comment unless they, you know, depending on how well they uh, execute it. I like, I like seeing Worf again. I like Worf. Yeah. Um, I think the Ferengi and that, I mean, he got his head chopped off and then the <laughs> other, uh, the other uh, criminal, the, uh, the Vulcan, the Vulcan criminal, yeah. I think they were pretty good. And I would have been interested to see more of them. Like you kind of ask yourself, what is a, a Vulcan criminal? Like, like he's got to be emotional because crime is illogical, right? So he's got to be emotional. He's got to be, and I, f- I found that, you know, the little we saw of him, he wasn't a very, he didn't seem very Vulcan, right? He seemed yeah. very emotional. So I'd be interested to kind of, you know, he must be a quite an outlier for Vulcan society, right? You think Vulcan well, society, a very few criminals, very logical and ordered. Except right? he actually explained the logic of being a criminal in his, in his but dialogue. But I don't think, I think that's faulty logic, right? Well, I mean, it's rationalization, can, sure. It's a rationalization, yeah. exactly. It's not real logic. And I don't, I don't think most Vulcans would agree with them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I thought that was, well, I mean, we get rid of those guys real quick, but uh, let me, why does, uh, why does all, all crime areas, I mean, you know, if, if you've been to America and you've gone to, you know, <laughs> crime ridden streets, right? You know what it looks like. Why yeah. do all crime ridden areas in the Federation look like a high school rave party? Uh, because of Blade Runner. <laughs> like, everybody's just... got to have a, everybody's got to have a Blade I mean, Coruscant is the same way, you know. All of the all of the places where we see any kind of uh, uh, untoward activity, the, it's it's all it's all a Blade Runner motif. I mean, uh, Shauna Terpsik, who is the costume designer from Mandalorian, even said because there's an episode of The Mandalorian where Doctor Shepard is Doctor what's his name is running around, and he's got a coat on. He's got an overcoat on that looks like the coat Deckard had in Blade Runner, what Harrison Ford wore. And Shauna Terpsik acknowledges the influence, saying this was this this is the Blade Runner coat. And so they, I'm like everybody's gotta have a, a Blade Runner. That they have no creative uh, ideas in their body and they gotta copy a movie from Forty years ago, is that what it's, they're saying? It's a wink and a nod, but it also goes back to something that I had said: that people that are making stuff now are not literate. They're making stuff based on what they've seen, movies and television, and not literature that they've read. They're not as well versed in the literature of the past. Their their reference material is all TV and movies. Is all visual. And yeah. that changes how they approach creatively. So you need a you need a background, and uh, you know you got to go back. You can't just and a lot of times. I mean, I I agree. They seem to be picking up, and they they're picking up the movies that were made up on the books, right? They take out some movie and they go, "Wow, this is really cool. Let's mm-hmm. copy this." You go like, "Well, there's that was a copy of a cop. That's a co- you're making a copy of a copy, yeah, right? Like, go to the original and." you know, see what that's like and use that as your inspiration. Not, uh, it's very, very weak. It is. All right. So MS is calling in. Let me do this. I, so StreamYard has this new thing where 
we could do custom layouts. <clears throat> so I'm trying a custom layout here today. Now, MS, welcome. Hey, good afternoon. All right, so you saw 65. I did. Actually, I just realized too because I won't. I won't even be able to listen next week, next Friday. I got an archery tournament for my students. I coach archery. I coach soccer. Don't shoot anybody's eye out. <laughs> you need my what? I said, don't shoot anybody's eye out next week. Oh no, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a, it's actually of all the sports I coach, it's the safest because <laughs> there's no there's no people running into each sure. other. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he also, what do you also uh, you coach bear wrestling I mean, axe throwing i do i do yeah i do i know how to throw knives i do it all uh, you know it's just it's just part of the just part of the gig i guess <laughs> no i just enjoy trying to help you know students just build confidence feel better about themselves get out there try new things yeah and you know, especially where I live. I live in the, uh, I think I live in the third poorest county in America. So, you know, we got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of math. We got a lot of everything. So it's just really bad out here. But yeah. so I'm constantly, you know, just doing stuff with these kids. And next Saturday, I'm going to hopefully take my kids and a, and a couple of my friends. We're going to go see D&D. So maybe the following Friday, we can have a call and show about the new D&D movie. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, real yeah, quick, but, let me let me address the chat. Gene McDuff, uh, liked your interview with Cameron Pasha yesterday. Please do more with him. Uh, Cameron is a frequent guest. Uh, he's a semi-regular here. Uh, anytime uh, we get a chance to have him on, he's, he's scrambling between a number of different YouTube channels where he's a guest and then his own actual writing and producing work that he's trying to get done. So... Um, every opportunity that we get to have him on, we, we try to avail ourselves of that. So he will definitely be back. So MS, you saw 65. Yeah, I saw 65. Um, I remember I, I had mentioned earlier when I'd first seen the trailer, my question was, you know, what's going to, what surprise are they leaving out? You know, mm -hmm. I'm. What am I going to see this movie that's going to, you know, draw me into it? So I went and saw the movie. I took my son with me. He's nine years old. And after the movie, I asked him how, how he liked the movie. He's like, yeah, it was okay. And then later he's like, man, it was kind of boring. <laughs> and it, it's it's hard okay. to explain because what I told a, another friend of mine was, I was like, it's a movie where everything is technically sound. The acting is good. The directing is good. The cinematography is good. You know, the pacing is good, right? Yeah. But the but it just falls flat. It's like somebody makes this really nice looking cake, has all the ingredients you like, and then you taste it and you're like, it's missing something. It's just bland. You know what I'm saying? Is it and so the movie is very much they played it close to the hip, afraid to take any chances. Yeah. And it's kind of like what you saw in the trailer is kind of what you saw in the movie. Guy crash lands on Earth. Guy rescues a girl. Guy has to get to an escape pod. <laughs> Are that, is it is it paint by numbers? Is, is it predictable? You know how it's going to end before you get there. It, it, it pretty much is. Yeah. It's it's That's what you think is going to happen. What's going to happen? Nothing's really shocking. Nothing really comes out of left field. There's no. There's no. Oh, here's a surprise. Here's a group of humans we never knew was before. 
these guys accidentally seeded the earth or it's really nothing Hmm. to that effect. And then after you watch the movie, you kind of think, well, they, they kind of build Adam driver's character up a little bit. They give him like a motivation for what he's doing and why he ends up in that place to, to crash the ship anyways. Right. But then you're thinking, well, who are all these humans on this other planet? (laughs) Where did they come from? Yeah. I mean, you have a, you have a nine-year-old boy, you have dinosaurs and you have like guns and action. Exactly. If a nine-year-old boy doesn't like that, that says something pretty bad to me about the movie. Like, you know, well, and, yeah. not and, gonna like that stuff. You know, it's interesting. Say, uh, it's interesting boring. that you say, you know, that it's all of these pieces are done. You know, everything, everything's okay, but the the sum of its parts is kind of bland, and it makes me wonder if there are people out there in Hollywood because we'd been talking about the pendulum swinging back, and it has me wondering if there are people in Hollywood that are like, okay, well, we have to, we have to. Uh, we have to tell these kind of stories in a way that doesn't offend anybody, and maybe mm. we're overcompensating. Maybe we're just, well, let's let's just play it safe. Let's just let's just do this basic thing. What if this is a test? What if this is somebody? And I'm 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 just throwing it. I'm spitballing. What if this is somebody at the studio sitting there going, okay, let's just do something basic that doesn't try anything really over the top, crazy, ambitious, and let's see what happens. So it's back to Hollywood always le- learns the wrong lessons, yes. right? Yes. Oh, we do, do these crazy woke movies that nobody likes and are just preached to people, and then no one sees them. Oh, you don't like that? Okay, well, we're going to go back to really dumb movies with uh, nobody knows nothing, and it's really stupid, and there's well, no... Well, it's entirely yeah, oh, possible. You, you guys can't again, make up your mind. Yeah, but no, consider, we want Stop, good maybe, entertainment. Maybe, we don't want... maybe there are people that are in charge that don't know how to do those movies. I mean, because they haven't done them in how many how many years since since we got a a lot of films. I mean, look at the eighties. I know. I always say that. I agree. You know? Go back to the eighties. You go and you look at an eighties marquee, and you you know four to eight theater marquee, and you see all these movies. And you go, all these movies are good. Yeah. Not great. Maybe they're not Citizen Kane or anything or, or the yeah. best movie ever made, but they're good. You can watch mm-hmm. them and you can be entertained and you have a yeah. choice and you're like, ah, I like more science fiction. I like more adventure. I like more whatever, romance, whatever. And you can go and you can see a good movie. Yeah. But now it's like it's like most of the movies are crap, are less than even above average or not even average. Or you've got some that are really, really good. Right? Well, I think, no, I think the other part between. of that. Yeah, I think the other part of that is people have gotten so used to, you know, the $250, $300 million tentpole blockbuster epic thing that's part of a shared universe type of franchise movie. And they have to be retrained. They have to, to relearn this notion that you can do a $50 million picture, a $100 million picture. I mean, look at here's a good example. Netflix canceling a $130 million romantic comedy from Nancy Myers. Now, Nancy Myers is a, is a recognizable name. She's a bankable name in terms of writer, director, producer. She's, she's got the longevity. She's got the gravitas, if you want to use that word. And Netflix sits there and says, a romantic comedy for $130, $130 million? pass we're not going to do that we're, that's too that's expensive ridiculous. 
What was she going? Was it a sign? Was it going to take place on the moon? Was no, but the 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 talent that was attached to it. To I Mars mean, to film it. There were there were four <laughs> the four actors that were involved. Uh, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans, I think, were two of them. But wow, you have you, you have you know you have That's these right big, big names. Yeah, and it was like you no. know what though? Twenty years ago, those those two actors would have made that movie, and would have done it on yeah. the cheap because twenty years ago, I remember. Big time actors in big tentpole movies also doing those small movies. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, going back to 65, you know, I don't know if um, the issue was the studio, maybe as much as also the fact that it seemed like the directors were young. You know, mm-hmm. they had directed a few things, but nothing when, when I looked them up that was like major. So maybe as young directors or new directors, maybe they didn't want to, you know, do anything to mess it up. Take you know, risks. maybe they didn't have a vision or, or you know, yeah. something like that. I don't know. You know, going back to the 80s, like you two were saying, too, I was just talking to my friend the other day, too. And I was just saying that one thing I notice nowadays is I just feel like a lot of actors don't have the charisma actors in the 90s and 80s used to have. You know, so, you know, count me yeah. wrong, but you know, like Richard Dean Anderson, I like Stargate and MacGyver because of Richard Dean Anderson. And if somebody yeah. else played those roles, I probably wouldn't watch it. Now, I think Jeremy Renner has that kind of charisma. You know, I think yeah. there are people, but I, I just feel like, but you I could, don't know. I think you can find these people, right? Like, yeah, look, I mean, at, look at the romantic comedies from, like, the 80s or 90s for some. 90s was big for romantic comedy. Yes. So, I mean, they took people like Julia Roberts and um, yeah. what's her name? The blonde one. I think she's uh, really good looking. Um, I forget her name. Uh, anyway, they Meg took Ryan? these people. No, no. She's before. But uh, they took these young actresses who are good looking, and they met, that's how they made a name for themselves in these romantic comedies. She played in uh, the other uh, one I'm thinking of. She played against Julia Roberts. She was the uh, My Best Friend's Wedding or something where she oh, uh, guys getting married. Uh, uh, I, I, her name just escapes me. Um, but uh, anyway, she, you know, they Cameron took Diaz. these people. Cameron Diaz. Cameron oh, Diaz. So they took these people, and that's how they made their way into. You know, they 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 plucked some young actress with charisma who's good looking. Hey, you're going to go into romantic comedy, and that made their. And they took a, take a good looking guy. I mean, that's all you need for romantic comedy, right? You can certainly in all the actors and actresses in LA, you can find a good looking man and woman who've got a little bit of charisma that you can put into a romantic comedy for on the cheap. You don't have to pay them ten or twenty million to be in the movie. Like, yeah. come on, uh, you know. Uh, Romantic comedies well, are pretty, uh, pretty if, I mean, Hallmark makes romance movies for, you know, in a week and with for 10 grand. Yeah. I mean, geez. Well, if you're going to do if you're going to do something with Nancy, like, say, if you're going to take this this picture from Nancy Myers, for example, and you're going to you're going to attach Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans. Then if I'm Netflix, the uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, OK, uh, Scarlett, Chris, we want you to work for scale on this one so we can keep our budget mm-hmm. good and, and manageable and we can make a profit on it. We'll give you profit participation points on the back end, assuming that there's anything like that with distribution. And then yeah, what we're going to do, in addition to that, we'll give each of you your own film to produce at some point in the future. So basically, he said, yes. We want you to work for on the cheap for this one, but 
We're also going to do this movie over here with you later, and you get to call the shots. So if that if that and and that gets me the romantic comedy from Nancy Myers, who was known for that kind of thing. You know, it's going to be it's going to be solid. She's proven herself. She's got a track record for that. You'll have a success. And then you have the benefit of having deals, you know, development deals with two of the biggest stars in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so they go, look, we're going to be doing stuff with them. It's a win all the way around. But, you know, but why not just go to Nancy Myers, for example, and say, hey, listen, we'll give you a little more money off the movie. And instead of getting uh, Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson, we'll get someone who is almost Chris Evans and almost Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> and we'll pay them one one hundredth of the price yeah. that we're going to pay them. You make more money, and yeah. we bring these people up, and you know we can make a movie that's going to be successful. I mean, do you really need Chris Evans to make your romantic comedy? Why can't you get almost Chris Evans and pay him one one hundredth of the, well, the because, cost? Because Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson need to get away from their superhero uh, pigeonhole. Yeah. They well, that's, that's why they know, should want to I do don't it need them cheap. to do that. I don't care. They, right? I know, but they I'm do. Netflix. They they do. Well then other than other than they that, better be accepting then, less money if, if they, they really want it. That if time. they do that, see you know, they they don't have careers if they can't get out of uh, of the Marvel shadow. But well, think it sounds about like they need me more than I need them and <laughs> they can take a pay cut then. I think yeah. Adam Sandler is a good example of a guy who made a deal with Netflix. He makes these movies. People People like him. People are watching them. He's yeah. making a sequel to his movie with Jennifer Aniston, but then he turns around and he makes his dramas that go out to the theater and pushes for his Oscar. Yeah. You know, whatever he's trying to do at that point. So it's like Sandler doesn't seem to have a problem taking the pay cut for Netflix. Well, and then the other thing is, I mean, you have you know people like uh, Clint Eastwood, for example. Same kind of thing. Uh, 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 Kevin Spacey was the same way. I'm going to take this movie that pays me all this money to do this project that I'm really not into, but it gives me money that I can turn around and go make this project that I really want to make. These are the, the kind of uh, deals that's like, one okay. One for me, one for you. Exactly. I'll do this one for you, but you have to let me do this one in exchange. Eastwood was to, always uh, doing that. I used to think. Uh, Is that why he Sandler, made those orangutan movies? <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. I used to he, think he did those. Sandler he did those a... to avoid getting typecast as Dirty Harry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to think uh, I used to you know not respect Sandler and think he was a joker and uh, and then I saw him then I saw Punch Drunk Love and I thought wow this guy he can actually act yeah. And uh, he can do something other than be the clown in a movie. So, uh, yeah, those things can really, you know, you can really change your perception if you, uh, well, you know, it's you take on that that project that's a little bit it's challenging like, or different. You know, it's like Michael Keaton when they announced that he was going to play Batman. Everybody oh, went, Mister Mom's Mister Mom's going to be Batman. And then I, I, that. I saw him in Clean and Sober. It was one of his first dramatic roles, Clean and Sober, and he was brilliant in that. And I, I saw that movie, and I came out of that movie saying, okay, I'm on board. I can see Michael Keaton as Batman now. I, I still don't think he's that great a Batman, to be honest. I don't... Uh, I don't. He's a better Beetlejuice. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, he kind of looked... You know, I watched the movie again, uh, the original two, and uh, he looks kind of goofy when he's Bruce Wayne sort of standing there with his mouth kind of open. Yeah. And, uh, 
But uh, I mean, I would be interested to see him as a the old Batman, right? Like uh, I'm curious. Like I, I'm, uh, the Dark Knight Rises, uh, the original, yeah. uh, you know, the fifty plus year old Batman who's all beat up. Well, and, that's uh, the Batman we're going to get in the Flash. Yep, supposedly, right? Yeah, and he's playing that. Or, he's right? yeah, or he's it... he's playing Batman in the Flash. What is uh, Affleck doing? He's Affleck is, is playing in Batman in the Flash. And, but have, he's playing the old Batman too, so it's a different. Batman. It's an alternate reality. They're both yeah. alternate it's, reality. It's 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 a thing. multiverse. This is the Flashpoint reset. Yeah, Flashpoint paradox. Yeah. yeah. So, I'll be interested if you want to see a good Flashpoint paradox. The uh, the DC animated movie, good. Yeah. You know, good Flash movie. that whole that whole thing with Flashpoint and New Fifty Two, I thought was just a waste. Personally, I didn't. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. Um, you didn't like it. You no. mean a waste, and it was wasted potential, or you just think it was no, no I, good for I, I think it was a gimmick from the outset. It was a. It was a desperation move on the part of DC to try to get sales boosted, and it worked. I, yeah, I'll give I them it that. Good... <laughs> it worked for about three years for the entire comic book industry, but at the same time. It broke a lot of things story-wise and, and did a lot of harm to various characters and turned off a lot of people from reading comic books. Like, well, I don't like any of this stuff. What are you doing? Now, uh, it, did, it, did, it did do some good things for the horror stuff because, uh, you know, when they folded all the Vertigo stuff in and some of the horror stuff that came out of New 52, I'm told, was really good. But for the most part, it New Fifty Two was a valiant effort, but it broke more things than it fixed, and they're still doing damage control off of that because they haven't they haven't been able to get anything uh, satisfactory sales numbers or anything since. So, yeah, well, there's a lot of issues with that. <laughs> yeah, it's there are. Mistake. All I know right. you're getting close to your time. The, the, yeah, I, hey, I need join to, me in the Discord to... so we can discuss Mandalorian Season 3, which is not very well written, in my opinion. You know, uh, we could do that. All right, the Discord uh, Discord link is in the notes. Sci-Fi Snob MS, thanks very much for being here, gentlemen. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. All right, and let me do this here. All right, so that's going to do it for today. we got to wrap up because i got to bail and, and do a bunch of different things today, and i got to be in six different places at once. So uh, tomorrow, um, let me do this. Let me do this. Where is it? Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Tomorrow at, there we go, Good Evening Multiverse. We're doing an evening edition tomorrow. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 Central, uh, instead of in the morning. So uh, make a note there, and that's going to that's gonna be what we do tomorrow. Join us on all the different social media platforms if you are so inclined. we got a bunch of four. we we got four different video platforms you can find us. The newsletter you can sign up for, the Discord server. Uh, check all that out, and we will be back to do this again on Monday. We've got Ariel Racine coming in to talk about the new movie Kill Her Goats, slasher picture. And then uh, we got a full week next week. So uh, everything, everything, everywhere, all at once. We're, we're just going to keep going. So thanks very much for being here, folks, for Open Line Friday. We'll do this again next Friday. In the meantime, remember, it's your money. It's your vote. The politicians hate you. The media lies to you. But God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. 
This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.